Welcome to Negotiating Brexit, the Views from the Member States podcast. This is a series for anyone interested in Brexit and the UK's future relations with its European neighbours. We look at viewpoints that are not always well known in the UK. I'm Hussein Kassim, Professor of Politics at the University of East Anglia and a Senior Fellow of the UK and a Changing Europe. And I'm Cleo Davis, Senior Research Associate at UEA. Today we're looking at Poland and Brexit. We're delighted to welcome our guests Natasha Stezinska and Przemysław Biskup. Natasha Stezinska is Assistant Professor at the Institute of European Studies at the Jagiellonian University in Krakow. She holds a PhD in political science from the Jagiellonian University and now works on the EU and Central and Eastern Europe, party politics, populism and Euroscepticism and identity issues. Natasha is a researcher on major H2020 cross-national projects examining populism and democracy. She has followed Brexit from the perspective of Poland. Przemysław Biskup is Senior Analyst in the European Union Programme at the Polish Institute of International Affairs, a think tank publicly funded but independent of the government. He focuses on the EU and domestic politics of the UK and Ireland, including Brexit. He teaches at the Warsaw School of Economics and holds a PhD in political science from the University of Warsaw. Przemyslav is author of some 50 academic publications and organizes the annual Belvedere Forum of UK-Polish relationships. Let's kick off with the first question. The UK imagines that other European countries have been as preoccupied with Brexit as it has been. Has Brexit been an important issue in Poland? This is this, this is interesting question because the the Brexit didn't really cause um, a lot of debate, especially not a lot of a public debate, I would say, but got a particular specific attention uh, in Poland, mainly uh, due to the fact that. Um, there is almost around 1 million Poles living in the UK. So in this respect, Brexit was discussed and was uh, presented to the public opinion. Uh, But also this is uh, the issue that was discussed during uh, parliamentary sessions, during uh, governmental meetings. Uh, So I guess that was for the average Pole the most uh, visible uh, outcome of the referendum. Yeah, I would generally agree with that, uh, uh, with uh, maybe one addition. Uh, We had quite important election in 2015 in Poland, and uh, the present government, which is is a right-wing government, they they came into power at that time. And uh, originally, they actually were planning to uh, have much closer relations with the UK within the EU. And uh, this is, I think, very well uh, reflected in the first uh, foreign minister's expose of that government, which was in um, March or February uh, 2016, so a couple of months uh, before the vote, but already at the stage when the vote was decided. Very clearly, uh, the the government of the the day, they they, they wanted to build up a a kind of coalition of, uh, let's say, Euro-realist countries within the EU. And uh, obviously, this whole plan hasn't been really implemented uh, because of the result. Thank you very much for that, uh, Natasha Przemek. Um, that leads quite nicely onto the to the next question I had, uh, Przemek uh, or Natasha, whomever would like to to come in here, on uh, Poland and the UK sharing similar views on a number of issues. So, how has uh, the UK's departure been viewed in Warsaw from this perspective? 
So if I may start and uh, we'll be happy to hear also uh, your opinion, Przemek, but uh, from my point of view, there are these common issues that were very visible and clear from the beginning. Uh, the first one is a state-centric um, stance towards EU integration. Uh, the second one is also um, regarding uh, sanctions on Russia or generally Eastern policy of um, both Poland and uh, uh, UK, and also maybe uh, similar views on, on a single market. And I guess that what makes this cooperation also visible and in a way uh, stronger uh, was the fact that the ruling parties were also part of ECR, European Conservatives and Reformists Group, which was not the case uh, with the previous Polish government uh, led by Civic Platform that was part of EPP, European People Party. Uh, I, I would just add that uh, it's also to keep in mind that uh, it's not like Poland and the UK have uh, at any point been 100% natural allies within the European Union. Agreeing with what Natasha said, the 100%, it's also worth mentioning that there were also deep, uh, deep differences, especially on uh, uh, the nature of uh, EU spending. Poland has uh, always been uh, very much interested in, uh, let's say, very traditional model of spending on the structural funds, on the common agriculture policy. The nature of the common agriculture policy, by the way, is uh, another field of, uh, has always been uh, another field of, let's say, uh, controversy and disagreement between Poland and the UK. Thank you so much, uh, the both of you, for, for that. Uh, how is the UK's contribution to the EU seen in Poland? Oh, well, uh, uh, I would say in a, uh, in general way, quite quite positively. Uh, what is important is that uh, we have to remember that European integration came to the Polish fore, uh, political fore, uh, uh, only in the uh, mid-1990s. And I would say that uh, it really became a thing in, in late 1990s and very early 2000s. And at the time, obviously, uh, the UK has been a very strong advocate of, of the enlargement. So that, that, that's one fundamental fact, which was creating the, this kind of um, implicit positive uh, perception of, of the UK's role in the EU in Poland. Uh, the other fa uh, thing is that uh, actually, <laughs> to the surprise of some of the members of the British uh, public, Poland has been uh, much um, appreciative of uh, Mrs. Thatcher's reforms in 1980s, both uh, as a model, a socioeconomic model, and uh, also uh, due to her uh, quite uh, explicit and tough stance on communism. So the starting point for perception in 1990s and 2000s uh, was actually created already in uh, 1980s with Mrs. Thatcher. And if you look at the nature of, uh, of the Polish uh, economic and systemic transition in uh, uh, early 1990s, late 1990s, early 2000s, it, it was in some ways it was more Thatcherite than Thatcher herself. So obviously in that context, uh, uh, the UK has also been seen in quite positive way as a kind of role model. And then uh, we also have to uh, take into regard a generally quite, I would say, conservative nature of the Polish society, uh, conservative with small c, not capital C. And uh, a kind of vision connected to the UK of, uh, and, and at earlier stages, obviously, to, to generate the goal, uh, a kind of vision of the uh, Europe of nations instead of a European nation or the European nation has, uh, I think, for quite a long time had 
big uh, attractive uh, power uh, to Poles. Lastly, uh, uh, there was this uh, famous decision by Tony Blair uh, not to introduce any uh, any transition period in, in the movement of uh, labor in 2004 upon our accession. And obviously English has been and is, still is uh, the most popular foreign language taught in Polish schools. So uh, this produced this, uh, in, in very short time, this uh, considerable Polish diaspora in, in, in the UK um, at uh, top uh, top point, uh, being close to, I think, uh, something like 1.5 million, uh, maybe even 2 million, because there are many people uh, you know, going to Britain under the radar. And at the moment, it's still like 900,000 people. Thank you, Przemek. Uh, Natasha, would you like to add something to this? I think that's, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. I um, First thing that came to my mind, thinking about this more current uh, let's say time is exactly uh, opening of the labor market of Britain uh, for Poles and uh, it was very appreciated, very much acknowledged. It was also very much visible also in a, um, popular discourse, if I may say like that. Uh, and this is also how you ended up having uh, Poles as the uh, biggest uh, minority coming from the EU uh, states uh, now in Britain. Thank you both uh, for those answers. Um, very interesting point there. I wonder, now going back to the effect of uh, the referendum and how it was felt uh, in Poland, when the UK referendum took place, some in the UK and elsewhere anticipated a domino effect across Europe. Did the vote have an impact on party politics, political discourse or public opinion uh, in general in Poland? Mm, I think that... Mm right after the referendum uh, results were announced, it caused, of course, uh, several different reactions coming from, you know, all different actors on the on the political arena. So both a governing party or parties, because this is a coalition, as well as the opposition parties, also think tanks and, uh, and different institutions. But uh, what caught my attention is actually that uh, ruling party law and justice um, underline um, Brexit being a kind of a proof of, you know, um, a need for reform. So this was announced um, by Jarosław Kaczyński, leader of law and justice party. Uh, in a way, uh, ruling party in Poland used Brexit uh, as, a, I would say, warning uh, and also maybe... Um, a proof to what ca what can happen if the EU institutions go too far, if we speak about too much, or we actually face too much of centralization. Uh, so in this respect, it was visible. It was very politicized discussion from also used by the opposition parties. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I would just continue the same trade. Any kind of attempt to read the situation by the UK side that you know there will be a domino effect, especially in countries like Poland, uh, is, is a, has been a, a very grave uh, uh, error of judgment because uh, it's, it's not just that uh, there is a huge support on uh, on a grassroots level within the post society for the uh, European integration as such, but uh, it is also a very uh, clear. Uh, geopolitical interest to Poland to remain within the EU. 
Thanks. Thanks very much. Um, I, I've got a few questions to ask about the um, views in Poland about the negotiations. And I was wondered. Um, I wondered um, first of all, um, how how will Poland be affected by Brexit? What will be the the material um, impact on Poland? I would say Brexit will be felt on a few different fields uh, uh, in slightly different ways. So first, there is a direct economic impact, and that really depends on the nature of, of the deal. It's, well, uh, it's worth mentioning that we are recording this uh, conversation on the morning of uh, 7th of December, so we don't know uh, yet whether there will be no trade deal or there will be a deal. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's important to, to remember that uh, Britain is Poland's uh, third uh, biggest export market, and at some points it was actually the second one. And uh, there is considerable value of, uh, of, of trade, both in services and uh, in, uh, in goods. It's, it's, it's around, at the moment, it's, it's around 120 uh, billion Polish slotis, which is more or less, uh, uh, you have to divide it by four to get euros. Uh, uh, and, uh, and importantly, Poland has surplus, both in trade in services and trade in, in goods. So, you know, uh, uh, obviously, uh, uh, this is something that can be easily hurt by an acrimonious uh, economic deal. That that's one thing. Uh, the other is actually a deep uh, uh, reconfiguration within the European Union, and uh, not going into Polish domestic politics uh, at, at at the moment. I would just say that we actually observe it on the basis of the debate concerning the multi-annual financial framework. Uh, in the EU. Uh, uh, Poland, uh, uh, and, and this is something that is viewed by the Polish society uh, as a whole, uh, also as a positive thing. Uh, Poland, since 2015, dropped uh, ambition to join the Eurozone in any, um, any particularly uh, near future. Uh, but uh, uh, Brexit completely uh, reconfigures the power of non-Eurozone countries. Uh, it cuts uh, their collective power by half, and not just that, it also eliminates the, I would say, uh, the only country having uh, uh, will and having uh, uh, legal arguments to uh, fight for a European Union, which is not just ex an extension of, of the Eurozone. So uh, this is a huge change, especially from the point of view of, of the program represented by the present government. And thirdly, uh, I would say there is a big question about uh, a kind of future direction uh, for, for, for Poland, both in economic and, uh, and, and political and social uh, sense. So, for example, uh, Brexit uh, definitely closed, I think, the, the kind of chapter when Poles were migrating uh, to the UK, but also to other countries. Now, uh, this, this is being reversed slightly reversed, but uh, even more importantly, importantly, Poland has become uh, a, a, um, an immigration country. There is also a big, uh, big question, you know, uh, what will be the relation uh, between uh, EU and NATO? And uh, what will be the basic relationship between uh, security sphere and economic sphere? And with the UK uh, going, uh, I mean, exiting the EU. 
Well, I was, I was interested that you identified a number of dimensions, and obviously some are the, the sort of direct hit of Brexit, others are um, you know, reflect the, a, a change in the balance of power within the EU and, and, and potential futures for the EU, but also much more broadly. So, so for you, the impact of Brexit is going to have an impact on the sort of geopolitical configuration of European institutions. I mean, it's a really, it's a really interesting answer. And I, I just wondered if I could ask whether um, you, you thought that the um, the perceived impact on the economic uh, on, the, on the Polish economy has has really guided um, Poland's approach to the negotiations. I think that's that's uh, pretty important and maybe one of the three most important issues that were always uh, raised up and discussed. Britain used to be a second most important trading partner for Poland after Germany, and it dropped to the third position. Uh, but now we, I mean, we can easily say it's it's one of the five top. Um, countries, uh, trading partners. So definitely uh, here um, there was a threat that the no-deal Brexit will will actually very negatively affect um, our economy, uh, but also the future of EU budget. I wanted to come back to that if, if possible, because um, we now know we are speaking at the end of 2020, uh, but at the beginning of the negotiations, there was a threat that uh, if they will go smoother and quicker, uh, you know, um, Britain will stop contributing to EU budget. And Poland was always underlining that actually Brexit means Brexit, but contribution to the common budget until 2020 should remain on the level that was um, decided and accepted before Brexit referendum. So, I mean, this is no more a threat. This is no more a valid uh, concern. Uh, but also when it comes to future of EU budget, I, I also... Um, what um, when Shalek was was mentioning all these factors about the future of EU as such, the white paper on the future of Europe uh, published uh, in 2017 by European Commission and the several debates in European Parliament uh, and now uh, forever postponed conference on the future of Europe, that Poland in a way uh, lost uh, um, an ally in um, advocating for this less integrated Europe. So um, in this respect, I, 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 see, um, I see Brexit as an important uh, issue also for. Thanks, thanks very much indeed. Um, one, of the, um, one of the puzzles for many observers has been the um, degree of unity on the EU side, um, especially during the, the uh, most recent negotiations on the future relationship, where it was believed that economic interests would come to the forefront and, and start to divide the, um, the EU member states. Were, were you surprised by, and, and how, would you, would it, how would you explain EU unity? Well, uh, I'm, I'm not sure whether my, my personal judgment is particularly uh, widespread in Poland, but I, I would say uh, this was a kind of confluence of two basic uh, facts. First, accepting uh, at relatively early stage that the negotiations will be a two-stage process. So stage one is mostly about uh, three things. Uh, 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 Multi-annual budget, which Natasha mentioned, citizens' rights, which we have already mentioned, and uh, the Irish border. And the rest of the things, uh, they would be postponed until uh, what, what we have now uh, coming to, to close. Uh, and within those three um, free fields, I would say, uh, basically, the, there was something like a natural unity of the EU. It, it was not particularly difficult uh, for the EU to come to the conclusion that if, if there are any costs of Brexit, 
direct costs. It should be paid by the UK. That uh, citizens' rights should be uh, protected, especially that uh, there was a number of countries having very substantial number of their own nationals uh, in the UK. Uh, obviously, Poland uh, has been uh, the country number one. Sorry, was a country number one. But, uh, you know, uh, think about uh, uh, Italians, Spaniards, uh, uh, French, uh, uh, Romanians, all those countries, they had like 300,000 people and more in the UK. And uh, the last thing is the Irish border. Uh, uh, here, I would say that uh, it's also important to mention that uh, most of the EU countries are relatively small countries and they see uh, European Union as a kind of safety, uh, safety net or safety cage, like in a, you know, car sports. Basically, stance on that was a, a very important test to, to the validity of that kind of uh, claim that the EU is indeed a, a safety net. And the, the final result was that actually producing and maintaining uh, EU unity on, on, that, uh, on the basis of those three policy fields, uh, I think, was quite natural and was not that difficult. So that's one big factor. The other big factor is that the UK had a very uh, uh, unsteady course uh, in the first phase uh, of negotiations. Uh, the British side was not uh, able to produce a very clear strategy. And most importantly, uh, there was either no will or no opportunity to test the EU's uh, unity. And uh, the importance of that second, uh, second big factor, uh, I think, uh, is particularly well seen uh, by comparison to what we have at the moment on the British side. That's a really interesting, um, a really interesting answer. I mean, I, I wonder if I could pick you up on on um, on one of the issues you identify because uh, in the UK, um, I, the Irish border really emerged quite late in the day as a concern and, and, and an issue. And and one of the arguments heard was that um, you know the other the EU twenty six would never go to the wall for Ireland. Ireland's a small um, country. Um, in a lot of the Brexiteer sort of manifestos, there was no mention at all of the Irish border. I mean, how how can you explain why that became such a sort of prominent concern for um, for the for the EU and such at such an early stage for the, for the sort of sequencing approach? Poland was quite happy about maintaining EU unity, and I think this is a product of a basic fact that uh, Polish interests in such a case could uh, could have been uh, quite easily. Uh, mainstreamed, if I may say so. Poland's main concerns were quite easily to uh, to portray as as very European mainstream concerns, both in general and in uh, in, in the context of specific institutions. So, for example, uh, in the uh, European Parliament. I mean, it's it's it's, it's a well uh, known fact that European Parliament has a special, let's say, soft spot in their hearts uh, for uh, civic rights. So, so EU citizen, so, sorry, citizens' rights. It's not just EU citizens. This is is something that is, you know, uh, very well sellable uh, in in, for example, in the European Parliament. But obviously, uh, at the end of the day, uh, it's not just about uh, uh, kind of abstract uh, rules and abstract uh, uh, perceptions, but it's uh, about the national interests first and foremost. So obviously, on one hand, European unity, as long as it uh, leads to uh, a good deal that delivers on Poland's priorities, is seen uh, as something very good. It also decreases the price in bilateral relations, because uh, basically what, uh, what uh, the Polish government introduced 
uh, and I would credit for that uh, uh, Mr. Szymański as a Europe minister. But uh, all those assumptions, they work as long as there is a deal at the end. And that's uh, uh, why I think uh, there was a very uh, active uh, position of Polish diplomacy. By the end of negotiations, starting from, uh, from uh, late 2018, to make sure that the deal that was, that was there for the first time on the table, that it will be finally uh, ratified. It's, it's not enough to have a text of a deal. It has to be ratified to, to, have, a, to have a meaning, to have an impact. And uh, at that time, what appeared uh, was uh, some kind of conflict of interest or maybe tension between the interests, national interests of Ireland and, and, and Poland. And uh, this has been communicated in, in a way uh, reflecting, let's say, the, the perception of the Polish government. I, I personally don't see uh, Mr. Chaputovich's uh, uh, remark from, uh, famous remark from February uh, 2019 as something off the cuff. I think it, it reflected a kind of general philosophy of the Polish government that what really uh, serves the interests of Poland, but also of the EU as a whole, including Ireland, it is uh, a deal that is ratifiable in the UK. Your emphasis on national interests and and um, and the articulation of national strategies is, I, I find, uh, particularly interesting. I wondered how how um, how you think, therefore, the the performance of the task force and actually the purpose of of the task force was perceived in Poland. Was it something that was welcomed? Was it um, was it seen as as um, creating an inevitably sort of bureaucratic solution to um, to what the UK what the EU wanted? It's interesting because um, depends who you ask. Uh, so if you look at this general public debate about Brexit, there was really not much uh, reporting about that. Uh, so, um, of course, this, this also reflects in a way uh, general Brexit debate in Poland that is pretty descriptive and pretty um, concerned um, or maybe concentrated rather around the topics that are uh, important for the average, let's say, Polish citizen. Yeah. So, so in this general public discourse, uh, not much uh, debate about that. Uh, but if you look at the, um, let's say, a bit deeper uh, into the institutions, uh, uh, there was a bit more discussion about that. And uh, I don't know, maybe it, it is the, the right moment here to uh, also mentioned that there are like several uh, institutions uh, dealing with Brexit within Poland and um, within Polish government, within Polish parliament. And they are, um, let's say, maybe not equally involved. And also they not necessarily um, speak with the same voice. They are um, sometimes operating on different levels. So as uh, Przemek mentioned, of course, we have a uh, minister and uh, negotiator of the Polish uh, government uh, from, um, from the beginning, it's uh, Minister Szymański. Uh, but there is also this committee within the, Europe, uh, within the Polish parliament uh, on which um, theoretically uh, this is the level where, where the things should be discussed. This is also where um, uh, Mr. Barnier, for example, was, was hosted, but also a UK ambassador uh, several times. But um, as, as much as I understand, uh, this is 
I mean, it should be the arena for discussing all these issues, but it's rather not. Uh, I mean, it's also rather giving uh, reports on progress or lack of progress uh, rather than, than um, making any uh, decisions or, or um, deciding about um, how to act. And there, there is, of course, uh, also this governmental strategy for negotiations. But, I mean, Przemek maybe has a better insight, but as far as I am aware, it's, it's, it's unpublished still. So, uh, so in a way, we can guess what the strategy is rather by uh, performance of the government and the negotiators rather than, you know, reading the, the strategy itself. It was mentioned, the strategy, you, you mentioned about how there's a Europe committee, how the Europe minister of Poland uh, is very involved in, in the strategic dimension. But how ready is Poland for the end of the UK transition period uh, and the possibility of a no deal? And how are those preparations going along? I think we are slowly entering this, uh, I would say, very speculative uh, phase of our discussion. Uh, uh, what I can say, as long as preparations are concerned, that uh, they have been uh, undertaken since uh, more or less uh, late 2018 in, in earnest. And uh, they were developed on, on a few fields, for example, um, as, uh, as long as the uh, status of Polish citizens is concerned, there was uh, uh, an increasingly uh, publicized uh, uh, action to encourage Polish citizens in the UK to apply um, on the basis of the exit agreement for the settled status. In Poland, we had an uh, information campaign uh, directed to businesses, and it, it has been led by uh, mostly the Ministry for Entre Entrepreneurship and Technology. And uh, there were also some preparations uh, in the Polish seaports uh, to open uh, to open well, to be ready to open direct connections if there need be. Uh, but at the same time, uh, what is the exact state of those preparations? Uh, it's, it's really hard to say. And uh, a very important uh, factor we have, to, uh, we have to mention is that uh, the bandwidth of certainly Polish decision makers, but I would say more broadly Polish political class and administrative class has been in the last couple of months concentrated on, on COVID, uh, COVID management, not on, uh, not, not on Brexit. And uh, Brexit, uh, I mean, especially no deal Brexit, would be seen as something, uh, as an important uh, additional and uh, basically unnecessary cost. But uh, at the same time, from the Polish perspective, in economic terms, it's really in a different class to COVID. If there is no deal, probably uh, big parts of Polish, uh, Polish agricultural sector agri-food sector will be in trouble. So, for example, Poland is the biggest uh, producer of uh, chicken, and one-third of our chicken is uh, consumed in the UK. Uh, uh, Poland is also one of the biggest providers of uh, transport services. So, you know, those uh, famous uh, uh, lorry, uh, lorry queues in Kant, they would involve uh, a lot of Polish, uh, Polish uh, drivers, uh, but by the virtue of that, also Polish business. So, who knows? We will see. Still regarding um, uh, the trade, and uh, Przemek spoke about agriculture, uh, but also, um, uh, as you said, this uh, transport issue is pretty important here, not only because of the lorry uh, drivers, but also these small micro companies uh, that were established in the UK, but they were actually 
uh, serving both Polish and uh, British market. Um, uh, so just going back and forward uh, because it was not uh, a problem and it might uh, become one. Um, but but recently, I think one of the <laughs> mostly discussed thing in, in recent couple of days was whether Poles will be able to go to UK using their IDs. Uh, so, you know, these are the things that are in public debated, not strategies, not um, uh, no deal Brexit, but these practicalities, like whether am I able to go to London to see my relatives with my ID or do I need to have a passport? Uh, so, uh, so we speak certainly about several different, um, let's say, spheres or several different bubbles in which people operate. And I think that, uh, that it's also important to, to, to keep an eye on this public discourse on everyday life of, of uh, people who will be affected by Brexit, both um, who are actually affected by Brexit already, both in the UK and in Poland. Thank you very much uh, for that answer, uh, Natasha. That's a fascinating way of putting it, the different spheres in which uh, Brexit uh, has an impact. Uh, the focus obviously being at the moment on the trade negotiations and the economic dimension, but it's a, a much wider uh, phenomenon. I wonder, earlier on, uh, you mentioned how for the first few years of the negotiation, the UK uh, government didn't seem to be able to develop a coherent strategy uh, towards what it was uh, doing in, in, in negotiating with the EU. Would you say, and this would be my next question, has uh, the uh, perception of the UK changed or evolved during the two sets of negotiations in Poland? Yeah, I, I think so, actually. I think that uh, especially the, uh, the last general election was a kind of um, a shed mark. Uh, because uh, before that, uh, I mean, with all the, all the uh, let's say, uh, controversial actions taken by Boris Johnson in autumn 2019, it was not really clear what's, what's, what's the state of, of, of play in the UK. Uh, let us remember that uh, uh, between, let's say, March 2019 and, uh, I would say, October, even December 2019, uh, there was a, a kind of... Uh, well, revolt, upheaval uh, within the British politics. Uh, it, it, the, the, the picture was really, really uh, very fuzzy, uh, very unclear. But uh, the general election cleared that picture. And uh, I think uh, Johnson has been uh, presenting a, a very consistent uh, approach to, to Brexit ever since. It's not necessarily the kind of approach that uh, in Poland we would, uh, you know, like the most. But uh, at least uh, this is something you can, you can, uh, you can read. This is something that is readable, and that um, presents, uh, I would say, sensible connect between the decision makers and the British society and uh, wider political class as a whole. Uh, I, I think. Uh, one of the most confusing things about uh, uh, Mrs. May, uh, May's approach to the negotiations was that uh, it was one thing to negotiate with her team, then the other uh, to set this in the context of, uh, of her, uh, let's say, wider government, uh, government background, especially the Conservative Party, then the political system as a whole, and then the society. Uh, and uh, in each case, you would get a, a different picture. Here we have uh, much more uh, clear, uh, clear uh, uh, lines, and uh, 
it's helpful in a sense, although, as I mentioned, it's not necessarily the kind of state of affairs that uh, Poland would, uh, would, would prefer. But uh, at the same time, there is, uh, there is recognition that uh, these are the sovereign decisions of, of, of the British people. Again, I would say, uh, my impression is that the emphasis in Poland is on getting a deal. Uh, I mean, uh, negotiating for a very long time and uh, kind of deal that will be, again, rejected by either side or breaking the negotiations on the basis of minor, uh, minor policy issues uh, is not what is really in the interest of the European Union as a whole and of Poland. Thank you, uh, Przemek. And Natasha, would you like to add something perhaps on the general perception of, of the UK and the people? I, I think that that Brexit, um, at least that's that's maybe I, I don't want I don't want to say the only, but uh, but definitely one of the visible positives is that we started to talk about it. We started to talk about um, international matters. We started to talk about how you works, um, how you should work in future. Um, why uh, British people decided to vote no. But also we discuss uh, this uh, quite important and, and big uh, part of the British society that wanted to remain in the in, in European Union. So these topics were actually not visible previously in the public debate. And now I don't, I don't want to say they are um, very visible, but they exist. So that there is a change. And I find it um, pretty um, valuable and, and important to, um, to stress and to underline that that at least that, yeah, at least we started uh, to speak about what uh, EU means for us, uh, but also that others might not be happy with certain solutions. And then um, by analyzing why uh, you are not happy with certain solutions, think whether the solutions can be good for us or not. And if not, then what uh, shall we do in the future? So I think uh, in the um, prospect of this um, big conference on the future of EU, uh, Brexit, in a way, will um, generate and is already generating um, discussion about organization of the uh, of the EU and different scenarios. So, at least that uh, on the positive note. Uh, also, uh, as Przemek mentioned, I mean, everybody has a colleague, a family member, a friend who lives or used to live in the UK in this country. So. Uh, in this respect, uh, also Brexit uh, was discussed on family meetings, you know, on friends gatherings, because it's affecting uh, um, everybody in a way, if not directly, then uh, indirectly. But, uh, but I doubt that you can find in Poland somebody who would not have heard about Brexit negotiations and, and possible implications. So at least this awareness is on a different level now, uh, four years later. I want to finish, if I, if, I, if I can, with two speculative questions. And um, the first of those really does um, follow on from what we've, what we've just been talking about, but also picks up something that, um, that, that um, Premek made, a point that he made earlier on in the conversation. And, and that's really that a number of people have argued that the UK's departure from the EU removes an impediment to further steps towards EU um, integration. But if I'm reading what, what, uh, what, what Premek was saying earlier, um, it, it actually um, makes more stark some of the decisions that have to be taken. For example, you know, if you are a member of the EU but not a Eurozone member, is there an effective organisational or institutional resolution to this, um, to the sort of plurality of ambition or difference of ambition um, within um, conceptions of, of how the EU ought to develop? Um, and the second question is, is um, 
um, is about the development of bilateral relations between the UK and Poland, because um, you know we, we've been focusing on the sort of recent history, but I just wondered what the future looks like. Well, um, as long as uh, your first question is concerned, uh, I would say um, uh, this is a very much an open process at the moment. Uh, there is a, a reconfiguration within the EU, especially uh, the basic relationship between uh, the Eurozone and non-Eurozone countries, and especially in the context of to what extent the EU is a multi-currency uh, union, or to what extent it's just an extension of the Eurozone. Uh, and uh, I, I couldn't offer at the moment uh, definite, uh, any definite answer to that, at least from the Polish perspective, because uh, this is an ongoing process. But uh, I would argue that uh, this, uh, this kind of question really has started in the last couple of years to translate into the, the most visible uh, cleavage on the Polish political scene. So we also observe a reconfiguration of uh, party platforms in reflection to that cleavage. And, and the question number two, well, I would like to, 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 uh, to mention that um, uh, on, on behalf of the Polish Institute of the, of the International Affairs, I'm uh, organizing or co-organizing with uh, colleagues from the, uh, from the Chatham House uh, the most important uh, bilateral e event in, uh, let's say, social, political and economic dialogue between Poland and the UK, which is called the Belvedere Forum. Uh, in March, we will have the fifth uh, edition. So the first edition was in 2017. And uh, the whole uh, uh, initiative was a, a direct answer to, to Brexit and to realization that uh, with uh, a loss of the British uh, membership in EU institutions, uh, there will be also uh, lost uh, many opportunities to, to have different sorts of discussions. And those uh, opportunities, they have to be somehow recreated. So the Belvedere Forum is, is, uh, is one form of that recreation, strengthening of Polish-British uh, uh, bilateral uh, governmental dialogue is the other. So if, uh, it's worth mentioning that Poland is one of very few countries to have, on, uh, to have intergovernmental consultations on a yearly basis with the UK. And we have also so-called uh, uh, quadriga talks uh, between uh, Polish and British uh, foreign and uh, defense ministers. And this leads... Uh, I think this leads to emphasizing a, a few policy areas which haven't been mentioned yet. So first of all, uh, from the Polish point of view, uh, uh, Polish-British relation is now not just economic or let's say union-wise, European Union-wise, because obviously European Union covers many fields uh, outside of strictly understood economics, but it's also very much about hard security. So it's, it's about NATO, but also about bilateral cooperation within, let's say, or under auspices of, of, of NATO, but not, not just uh, limited to NATO itself. And from that perspective, Britain is, is a very unique, uh, unique ally because it's one of two uh, you know, considerable armies in Western Europe. It's a, a, a nuclear, uh, nuclear power, and it's a country that is uh, uh, more or less aligned with uh, security interests of Poland, especially its approach to Russia, it's also a country that is uh, willing to send troops to the uh, NATO's eastern flank. And uh, it's greatly appreciated that the uh, UK is not just a framework country of uh, NATO-enhanced enhanced, uh, 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 enhanced forward presence uh, in Estonia, but also uh, there is a number of British troops stationed in Poland itself. And 
obviously there is also natural convergence between uh, the UK and, and Poland in terms of approach to transatlantic relations. So uh, for all those reasons, uh, UK is seen as a, as a very important partner. And all those reasons, they make Poland uh, much more open to, uh, to avoiding, uh, sorry, much more uh, determined to avoid no-deal scenario. Uh, because the, finally, the price won't be just acrimony, uh, acrimony in the context of European Union, but you know, possibly uh, also in NATO context. I think it's, it's important to, to also mention that uh, uh, the support for the European integration within the Polish society is widespread, but it's relatively thin. So uh, there is also a kind of constant tension between, for example, questions uh, concerning support for uh, Eurozone, Poland as member of the Eurozone, or Poland as member of the integrated European migration policy, and Poland being uh, part of European integration in general. So uh, I would say the kind of natural alignment within domestic Poland's policies vis-a-vis -vis the European integration is kind of still very much like a Europe of nations. But uh, whether this, this will be the kind of trend that will uh, be prevalent on the EU level among other countries, we will see. But that's, I, I, would, uh, I would read the, public, the state of public opinion in Poland in that light. But again, uh, we also have, we have been having in last couple of uh, electoral campaigns, new cohorts of voters, and importantly, those voters, uh, they were socialized. They have been socialized already very much within the European Union context, European Union membership context. So uh, uh, there is also some potential for change uh, in this respect in Poland, uh, and that change can be quite fast and take place in very can be a grave change in a very short period of time. Natasha, Premier, thank you so much for a fascinating discussion. That's been excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for the invitation. Thank you for listening to us. Thanks to our guests. Please join us for the next episode of Negotiating Brexit, Views from the Member States.